It's Fire Away Friday. Fire Away Friday. On Exploring the Word, this is your chance to ask us your Bible question. You can email your question at word at AFR.net or visit Facebook.com slash Exploring the Word. Exploring the Word. It's Fire Away Friday on American Family Radio. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon was once in a conversation, they were talking about John Bunyan, John Bunyan being the author of Pilgrim's Progress, and Spurgeon said of Bunyan, said, if you'd cut him, he'd bleed scripture. And with that thought, we welcome you to today's edition of Exploring the Word. And, you know, Bert, when I read that quote about John Bunyan being so immersed in the Word of God... Uh, that's how I want to be. You know, uh, the Word of God, it is the light for our feet, the lamp for our path. It is truth. And in this world of so many philosophies and ideologies and opinions and just, you know, sociologists call it the white noise of the 21st century. There's media, Internet, all this changing noise about us. There is the eternal Word of God. And that's the food for our souls, the pathway to Jesus, the the wonderful words of life. We need to be steeped in that scripture, don't we, Bert? We do. It's it's like the honey in the honeycomb. It is the Word of God. Uh, you know, we hear a lot about bias, and everybody has a bias. Don't think that we can completely get out of that. But I have a goal to be biblically biased. By that I mean Amen. I want to look at everything through the lens of Scripture and the only way to do it is saturate yourself in the Word, meditate upon the Word, uh, think upon the Word. But let me give one more. you got to act upon the Word. If you do not, or, you know, just if you read it, yes, that's good. If you memorize it, yes, that's good. But better than anything is living it. And it becomes a part of your life. And that's what we pray here on Exploring the Word, that the Word of God would penetrate us and it would become just who we are in Christ. And so... Uh, Praise the Lord. You, you just quoted two of the greatest Christians, Charles Spurgeon and John Bunyan. Now, yeah. Alex, uh, <laughs> they're giants. And uh, just when I heard them, you utter those two names, my my heart just leaps and say, Lord, uh, may we have more of them. Amen. Well, we're going to go through questions today. And as we approach this, let, let me say this. What Bert and I always try to do with with every question is give a biblically-based answer. Uh, Jesus said in John 10, 35, the, the Lord himself said of Scripture, said the Scripture cannot be broken. And so in your in your journey to find truth, to find answers, you want to start with the Word of God. The Bible is the Word of God. Billy Graham said of all those you know thousands of of people who walked the aisle to accept Christ and be born again, Billy Graham said that, uh, his first advice to every single new believer was to feed your soul on the Word of God. And that's our that's our goal. Now, we try to be biblical. We try to be practical. One thing about the program, and by the way, this is a pre-recorded edition of Exploring the Word, you know, where we answer questions and Bert and I are on the road traveling, so we can't take live phone calls, but we are going to go over actual questions from actual listeners and uh, we try to be biblical, and we try to be practical. Because, Bert, you know, when you throw out the word theology or doctrine, I think sometimes people might assume that that's 
this lofty academic thing. But I, I really honestly think there is nothing more practical than the truth of God's Word, because it is the truth for living. Uh, it is the blueprint for life, for blessing, for holiness. As the New Testament says, instruction in righteousness uh, scripture itself is practical, isn't it? It is. Don't let those big words uh, scare you. Now, I'm a, I'm a simple guy, and I, I don't mean to say that in any way, but I do. I, uh, I operated by the KISS principle, keep it simple. Now, I'm not going to mm-hmm. add the third, uh, the second S, but it's uh, yeah. somebody that, you know, is, you know, you want the people to hear you. Nothing wrong with big words, but I want to tell you what really matters is teaching. Okay, that's doctrine. Theology, study the Word of God, know God. Honestly, it's knowing God, knowing Him. And when you get into that, Alex, your words, practical, could not be anything but truth. And the two greatest doctrinal books that you have, Romans and Ephesians, in my estimation, and a lot of other people feel that way, the deep doctrines of them, listen to them and look at them and see how practical part of those are as well. Not just the teaching, but how they get into the spiritual gifts, how they tell you to live. And so, yes, know the Word and know the God of the Word. I I just want to tell you, knowing the Bible is important, but knowing the God of the Bible will take and make the Bible come alive. And uh, that's what you want. You want to know both the author and the product, and the product is the Bible. Amen. Amen. Well, let's get into some questions here. And, uh, you know, we may as well swim in some deep waters here at the very beginning. But uh, And the pastoral side of us, my, my heart really kind of is moved when I read this question. But somebody writes in and says, how should we answer a grandchild after the death of a grandparent? And I'm going to read the second half of this question here in a second. But kids have a lot of questions about death. And, you know, Bert, um, this month, two years ago this month, I did a funeral for a a little five-year-old girl that died in a car wreck. I don't know if you remember that, but it was very agonizing. And um, I'll never forget, it was one of the most moving things. Uh, The the chapel was packed. I mean packed. And um, I was in the middle of beginning to... um, do this eulogy, and a, a little girl just walked up to the podium. And this, the thing about it, this little girl that had died in this car wreck loved Disney and Snow White, and she was buried in her Snow White dress. And in the middle of doing this eulogy and trying to comfort this family, a little girl walked up, and she couldn't have been more than four or five totally unscripted and unprompted. And I leaned down and she whispered in my ear and she said, can I say something? And I said, yes. And she, I held the microphone down and she said, Maddie was my friend and I loved her and we will miss her. That's all. And I mean, there was not a dry eye in the place. And the uh, some of the children were saying, you know, where is this little girl and kids want to know where where is the grandparent where is the person who's left and i i'm a person i don't believe in lying to children 
You know, now we have to couch what we say with a lot of empathy, and I think we have to choose our words very carefully. But in talking to children about the subjects of death and God and heaven, I think we need to be straight and be factual with kids. Because let me say this now, I want your pastoral expertise, which uh, for those just listening, Bert Harper brings many decades of pastoral ministry, and I respect him greatly. But Here's my point, Bert. If we dance around the issue or if we're not straight with a child and years later they find out that we we didn't tell them the truth, they might doubt other things that we've told them about the Lord. You are right on, Alex. Uh, Truth, but yet speak the truth. How? In love. Now, what does that mean? Uh, It means you never lie, but it may mean that you have to share it in I would say steps, and uh, this this rest of this question is there was no evidence that the grandparent knew the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And, and you can answer those questions by saying, you know, they are in eternity. They, they have stepped out of life into eternity. And when you step into eternity, uh, you are, you're still conscious, you're still going. And for those that know the Lord— uh, you know, you can say, yes, he's got a place prepared for them. And those, if they say, well, did my granddaddy or grandmama know the Lord? And, and this is the honest truth. You never know exactly where they went. And you can say the Lord knows and, and we're, we trust God. And the main thing is for us to know him. Get it? Answer the question, but move it to the point of us knowing him and him making himself available to us, Alex. Uh, I'm not trying to be uh, humorous just to be humorous, but the illustration goes well. There's this little boy named Johnny, and he came to his daddy and said, Daddy, where did I come from? Well, you know, the daddy had been dreading this question that he'd have to answer, quote, the birds and the bees, and his dad just swallowed real hard and started talking, and, uh, you know, he didn't know exactly what to say, and he said, Man, that is funny. My friend Jimmy came from Illinois, and so sometimes what what That's you pretty funny bro. yeah what what you do answer the question but according to the depth of that person the age of that person uh, always speak the truth but you don't mm-hmm. have to unload the whole load at one time Alex now that's I've experienced that. I'm not just talking out of something that might happen. Yes, I've had to help people answer those questions, brother. Yeah, and You're right. Charles Stanley, I heard Charles Stanley one time on a program. He said, you know, we we can't preach somebody into heaven and we should never condemn somebody to hell because we don't know. We honestly don't know. Uh, I know there's the fruit of our life does speak volumes, but I've always tried to emphasize to children that you know the the beautiful thing about heaven is we're going to we're going to be with Jesus and we're going to see Jesus and the Lord loves us so much and the the most important thing of life is that we we open our heart to the Lord and we let the Lord and his love come into our life and we believe in Jesus because the greatest part of of heaven sure we're going to see our loved ones that were believers but the greatest part of heaven of all is that we're going to be with Jesus who created us, who gave his life for us. And in all of our talks about eternity and the, the things of God, 
Keep it, keep it, keep it focused on Jesus. Amen. He is the centerpiece. Let me answer this question. It's it, it's one that I get asked, we get asked quite a bit. So those of you that want to know this, get a pencil and paper, write it down, or you can always listen to the podcast and get it. But I get this basically nearly every two months or so. What are the books in the Old Testament that show us a chronological timeline? I remember the first time I shared that and people responded. And what I mean is the rest of those books that I don't name, they are commentaries or prophetic words or psalms and songs that's been written, stories that's been written. But there's 11 books in the Old Testament that takes you from Adam all the way to the end of the 400 years before uh, Christ would be born. And they are Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, Judges, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, and 2 Mm. Kings, Ezra, and Nehemiah. Those 11 books are a chronological timeline through the Old Testament. Like uh, I'll put Deuteronomy and and like Leviticus, you know, the other two. Uh, they fit in, and the, the, that's the law given and the second law given, Deuteronomy. And then Ruth is like it fits into the period of the judges. And and then you have all the prophets. They were spoken usually during the time of 1st, 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. But Alex, a lot of times ask about 1st and 2nd Chronicles, aren't they? No, they cover the same material that Samuel and Kings does, just a little differently. They cut, uh, you know, cover the same material. Now, the only mm-hmm. one that would look, Job, the oldest book probably ever written, but it, it took place during the period of the patriarchs. So yes. those folks that asked that question, I wanted to give that answer. Those 11 books in the Old Testament, if you'll read those through, then all the others will fit into it. Hey, this is Exploring the Word, and we'll be back with more of your questions right after the break. to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. back to Exploring the Word. Bird and Alex with you, and this is Fire Away Friday, but the questions are coming from Word at AFR.net or Facebook or questions that they've written into Alex or written into me or come up to us and ask, and we just pass those questions along because usually it's more than just one person that's wanting to hear an answer to that question. So we love to do this. We love the live better, but when we are doing something else and can't be with you on Fire Away Fridays, we're glad that we can do this because it gives us the opportunity to do so. And you can go to AFR.net and look under podcast and you can get Exploring the Word each day when we're studying or when we're answering questions. And you can also pass it along. You might find a question that you find interesting and somebody's asked you that. Well, just take that podcast and send it along to them and say, listen to question number so-and-so, and that'll be a blessing to them and to us as well. Well, Alex, got any other questions that's been asked of you lately? 
Uh, yes, uh, thanks very much. And by the way, folks, you can go to AFR.net and you can replay this or forward it along. You know, sometimes you can, if you hear something that you think would be a blessing to somebody, you can, on AFR.net, there's all kinds of great programming, not only Exploring the Word, but all of the other shows that, that you listen to and appreciate. And you can send a link to somebody and it just might be a, a real blessing to them. So, uh, avail yourself to the archives at AFR.net. But, uh, Bert, this week I was uh, talking with a college student about something called the Book of Enoch. And the college student asked, you know, what did I think about the Book of Enoch? And I want to speak about that. But, you know, I can always tell when maybe a, a young person has been to uh, maybe a, either a world religions class or an anthropology class or maybe even a history class, and they've gotten some misinformation because this particular student said to me, so well, you know, the book of Enoch was uh, one of the books that they pushed out of the Bible as if it was supposed to be there, but, uh, you know, for some reason, some men somewhere sometime forcibly excluded things. And I'm going to tell you why he uh, was taught that, but let me give a little bit of backstory. And also there's a, I don't know why people say this, but there's this idea that Enoch was a sibling of Cain and Abel. Uh, and that that's not true uh, either. Um, Enoch was great-grandfather of Noah, but Enoch, the Bible tells us, was a child of Cain. But here's the thing, what what is often called the book of Enoch was part of some writings that were found hundreds of years after the Old Testament was completed, the Old Testament being um, Genesis through Malachi, completed about 400 B.C. Now, in the 1950s, um, shortly after the time of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, was a, a manuscript found that has come to be known as the Book of Enoch. Now, let me tell you uh, one of the reasons why it was never part of the Old Testament and should not be viewed as Scripture. For one thing, what was found in the the 50s that has become known as the Book of Enoch was not in Hebrew. Um, And it, it was in actually a kind of a uh, Semitic language that they people argue about what it really is, and there's a copy in Greek, but the Old Testament was in Hebrew, and what was found was was not in Hebrew, and also the date some estimate it's from 150 B.C. or it might be as young as 64 B.C. at the very oldest, uh, the the manuscript called the Book of Enoch. Some have dated it from 300 B.C. And that's that's the oldest date. But see, Malachi was completed about 400 B.C. So let's even take the old date. Let's say it's from 300 B.C. Well, that's still a century after the Old Testament was completed and, and acknowledged. The other thing that's very controversial, Bert, it deals with the Nephilim or some and there there's some very apocalyptic language very cryptic language and I, let me just say this it's not compatible with what we have in the rest of the word of god the other thing is none of the jewish uh histories 
view this as Scripture. And so the Old Testament that you have, Genesis through Malachi, that's what was given by God, that's what was acknowledged by the Israelites, it's what was copiously copied, preserved, circulated. None of the New Testament writers cite any of the apocalyptic literature as being scripture. Jesus never quotes from it as scripture. None of the early church leaders from the first 300 years of Christianity cite it as scripture. So the book of Enoch is among ancient writings that have been found that are, uh, Bert, I would say they're a historical curiosity, but it must not be viewed as the revealed Word of God. It was never recognized as such, and the language and the timeline that it comes to us in doesn't measure up with when God gave Scripture anyway. So I would just say nothing wrong with being aware of this, but it's not the Word of God. You know, when I was in college and seminary, especially in my college years at Blue Mountain with Dr. James Travis and others, uh, they would say, uh, you need to be mindful and you need to know something of these books, uh, but you don't have to study them. They are not Scripture. And, and, and again, Alex, you did a great job of explaining the evidence is even in, in internal. Uh, when you look at how they say or the language they use, and I would say the verbiage, and then you compare it to the 39 books in the Old Testament that we do know, uh, you see something lacking. You, you catch what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I observed, and, and also observe that quite a bit with those books that we have during the, you know, the period of the 400 years, those years, but the interbiblical period when some yes. of the books, the, the book of the Maccabees, yes, they're valuable. Yes, they are interesting. Yes, I think they help, but Scripture, uh, it doesn't seem they measure up. And I go back to this saying, if if you trust God for him to give it, I think you trust God for his collection as well. Amen. And to preserve it. And let me say one other thing. I'm glad you mentioned the, the intertestamental period from Malachi to the birth of Jesus. You know, we often talk about Malachi to Matthew. Around 200 B.C. may have been as much as 250 B.C., but they put the Old Testament into Greek. It's very famously called the Septuagint, and uh, S-E-P-T is a prefix that means 70. And, you know, some say there were 70, 70 translators that worked on this, but the Septuagint not only was to put the scriptures in Greek because of the Roman Empire Uh, And many people were speaking Greek and writing Greek. And then the New Testament, of course, would come to us in what's called Koine Greek, the language of the people. But if ever there would have been a great moment to correct any omissions or to get get the Bible straight uh, during that time that they're going to translate the Old Testament from Hebrew to Greek, you know, that would have been a good time to give the public a corrected version if there were corrections needed, quote-unquote. And guess what we've got in the Septuagint, Genesis through Malachi. That's it. Which is, the point being, and I agree with you, Bert, um, if we believe God inspired those words, certainly we believe God has the miraculous power to preserve those words. And I think that's what the evidence shows us. It is. 
great question, great response, Alex. We've been asked that question, but never have we given that much information in detail. I should say, Alex, and agreed with you fully, and I appreciate that. Let me ask my other question, and we'll spend the rest of the time on the questions you have. And this one, I, I love this this question. It was written by someone that loves to sing, loves to share uh, and it's talking about the singing and the saying that you, especially you'll find in the Bible. It says the angels saying, or but it also talks about them singing, and especially Revelation four and five. And but the question was with the singing of the angels and the elders, you know, the twenty four elders and the four beasts that say and sing. They mix those words up. Will be we be able to sing along with them? Now, Alex, I, again, here's here's my thoughts on it. I believe we do, and I hope we can, because I've never been able to sing on key and on tune down here. I just have. I do not have the ear. Uh, my wife, Jan, has spent many hours trying to get me, Bert, match this tone, and uh, I would do my best, and I'd hit it every once in a while. She'll say, there you have it. Do it again, and I'd try it, and I'd miss it again. But you know, one of these days, I and I don't, I, I don't think it's just because I want it so bad. I believe we'll join in with the saying that He is worthy. Mm-hmm. He's worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will; they exist and were created. I believe we'll join in with those folks up in heaven, those angels, uh, those elders, those creatures. Alex, I think it's going to be a grand time. Uh, I think we'll do something else by singing, but I believe part of that will be singing. Amen. Well, well, I agree. You know, uh, A.W. Tozer, Christian leader, I guess he probably died in the either the late 50s or early 60s. I think so you're he's right. been yeah. gone a while. But Tozer one time said, uh, any man or woman who is bored or turned off by worship is not ready for heaven. <laughs> and. See, we are going to worship in heaven, you know, like you mentioned, uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, that the beings in heaven were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You were worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And I absolutely believe we're going to join in in the singing of heaven uh, and, you know, Bert, I, I, everybody listening can think of a time when you were in church or you were maybe at a concert or something and there was some worship music that just stirred your soul. Yes. Bert, I, I got to tell you this. When Angie and I first got married, I, we went up to Liberty because I was going to go to Liberty University. And um, so they had a concert and we were in this gymnasium and I mean, it was packed to the rafters and there had to be four or five thousand people in this gymnasium. And the singers came out and it got really quiet and they opened up this concert with the song, Holy, 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 you know, the Mm. hymn out of the hymn book. And it was a cappella, and there was no instruments and oh, the harmony and something happened a room of 5,000 people, it was quiet enough to hear a pin drop. And at the singing of that song, I mean, literally, the presence of the Lord came in there. And it was one of the most worshipful experiences. And we were there, and 
oh my goodness, it was so moving. And I really think one of the great things of heaven is that we're going to be there in the presence of Jesus. And yes, with a unified voice, the redeemed of all the ages will lift up songs of praise to our Savior. And that every now and then you get a little smidgen of that down here, don't you? You do. And when you, you're talking about your experience, I remember Jan and myself going to a Gaither concert up in Memphis, Tennessee. And uh, they were singing those songs. He touched me. You know, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. And 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 then, you know, they had some special guests there. And it was just one of those times when you worship the Lord. It's happened many times in worship time. But, yes, I, I, I believe heaven's going to be a place where participation will be enjoyed. You know, there's some people... They'll sit out and they'll be singing a song in church and it'll be a good song. And they sit there and they listen. I think they're, I've heard some of them say, well, I'm singing on the inside. I just don't. And I, even though I can't sing, I have to mouth the words or whisper the words. I don't want to say them too loud. It'd be off key. But I believe it's going to be mass participation from every tongue, every tribe, every language. It's going to be a great day in heaven when we gather around the throne praising the Lord Jesus Christ, Alex. I, Amen. It's, it's going to be a great day, isn't it? It, it really is. Hey, i got to tell you this. We're going to go back to questions. Um, I've mentioned a time or two the Cathedral Quartet, and folks, they were awesome. And we went to a concert one time, and uh, I was in the balcony, and I could see down on the first few rows were some some people. Well, they, I mean, they were in the spirit that night, and they were singing, and they did something uh, a cappella harmony and all of a sudden there was this old man on the front row and he let out a whoop a hallelujah <laughs> and he ran a lap around the room i'll never forget and this this old man if you can picture this and i could see it he gets up and he's like woo and hallelujah yeah. and he runs around and uh one of the cathedrals george yance was this singer and he said, what's your name? Well, it turned out this this old gentleman was an old Presbyterian preacher, and <laughs> the cathedral singer, he goes, i got to be honest, you probably don't do this every Sunday. And uh, he said, you know, I had a hallelujah in me, and I just had to let it out. <laughs> and let me say this, when you're feeling moved to worship and praise God, and you, there's times you just have to say, Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Lord, we, we give you glory and honor. And yeah, if the Lord moves you to run a lap of joy around the room, praising God is just one of the greatest experiences of the human of, of being a, a believer, isn't it? It is. And on Exploring the Word, <laughs> I want to tell you, if you feel like shouting, pull off the side of the road and roll down the window and let out a hallelujah. And uh, hey, this is Bert and Alex, and we'll be back with more right after this break. Welcome back to Exploring the Word on American Family Radio. Somehow you see through my heart and you welcome me with open arms just as I Isaiah 
Isaiah 6.3. Isaiah 6.3 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. In the previous segment, we were talking about the holiness of God, and that does relate to the next question that we're going to get to, but we welcome you back to Exploring the Word. Alex McFarland, Bert Harper, so honored that you're listening. And uh, we're going through a lot of listener questions. If you ever want to uh, send in a question, we would love for you to do that, and it may be the content for a future show. You can email us, word at AFR.net, that's W-O-R-D, word at AFR.net. It will get to us, and you know it might take me a, a couple weeks, but uh, either Bert or I, whoever it is sent to, we will get it, and we will respond, and we definitely appreciate hearing from all of you. But, Bert, um, let me read you this question. It says, uh, Alex, it was brought up in my Bible study class a question on how to respond to an unbeliever who says God is selfish. He referred to the Ten Commandments and other Old Testament commandments made by God. Thank you for helping to answer this. So the the basic gist of this question, God tells him or God gives commandments? Is God being selfish? Is God being arrogant? Why, you know, who is God to think that He can tell us to worship Him and what to do? Do you, do you get the the basic import of this question? Bert? I do. Yes, I do. And I, the first, let me give it this, and I'll throw it back to you. The first thing that comes across my mind is parents and children. You know, uh, why is it good? for children to honor their parents and to obey their parents. Now, is it because the parents are so selfish and arrogant that they must be honored and they must be respected and obeyed? And no. Who's the, who, who, who receives, I'll just ask you this, Alex, and you answer it. Who receives the benefit when children obey their parents? Really, the children they do, They certainly, they do, exactly. When we worship and honor God, it's not selfishness on God's part. It's love no. on God's part for who gets the benefit when we do that. We do. Go ahead, brother. Well, you know, before um, the break in the previous segment, we were talking about the holiness of God and worshiping God. And then that Revelation 4 passage, um, the angels in heaven are saying, Holy, holy, holy Lord Almighty, you are worthy, Lord God. Now listen to this. And it relates to us being commanded to worship God. It says, for you created all things by your will, they were created and have their being. Now think about this. Um, is God arrogant to tell us to worship him? And the answer is no. In fact, now think about this, folks. In, in telling us to come and worship him, that is actually an act of love. And I'll tell you why. Because the most alive you will ever be, uh, and not only alive, but joy, peace of mind, clarity of thought, the healthiest, happiest, most joyful you'll ever be, is the closer you are to the Lord. And so, do you know, just like the parent who says, you know, don't spoil your supper, don't, you can't just live on candy, you've got to eat some vegetables, that parent is showing love to the child. The parent who says, don't you go in the street. You can play all in the yard, but don't you dare get out there in the traffic. That's not being cruel. That's actually showing love. And when God invites us into his presence, remember 
in the New Testament, it says, The Father seeketh such to worship him. In giving us commandments and boundaries, God is actually showing love to us. Because in a way, Bert, may I say it like this? Uh, God, part of what God's doing is protecting us from ourselves. Hey, Am man, I right? You are right on. I thought of this. Uh, my wife, Jan, and I have recently purchased a coffee maker. And it can make one at a time or it can make a whole pot full, you know, you, according to what it was, what you need. And I'm not a coffee drinker, so I watch Jan do that. But I'm glad it had an owner's manual with it. I would have hated to pour 12 cups of water into the maker when she was just going to put one pot in it to make one cup. We had to read the owner's manual in order to find out, and then we had to follow those instructions. We had to respect the the maker of the coffee maker and what it was intended to do and what it was intended to produce in order to get something from it and benefit from it. God has made us. He's designed us, and it is for our good that we obey his commandments, which is loving him. It's for our good to obey him. Alex, it is right on. Uh, the The thrust of that uh, question is th- one of the first thing I do. They don't know God. The, I mean, the honest mm-hmm. answer: yeah. they do not know. Uh, the more you know Him, the better you love Him, and He is worth knowing. And if you're doubting that today, and you need help, and you're saying, I, I'm struggling, I, I want to know more about him. There's a number you can call. There are partners in ministry. It's at 888-NEED-HIM, 888-NEED-HIM, and they will help you, and they will answer those questions and lead you into knowing Christ as you pray and seek him and surrender to him. Alex, they'll find out God's not selfish. He is the most given. For God so loved the world that he did what? Gave his only begotten Mm -hmm. son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God is a giver, Um, not a taker, isn't he? Absolutely, absolutely. And can we take just another minute on this question? You better believe it, um, yes. When when God says, you know, repent, believe, grow, in other words, turn from sin to Christ, be born again, put your faith in Jesus and be saved, and then begin to grow. And part of growing as a believer is to become more and more Christ-like. And, and you know, let me just say, this is an irony, and we could do a whole show on this. The more we become like Jesus, uh, the less led by the flesh, the more led by the Holy Spirit, conformed to the image of Jesus. And you know, um, the Bible talks about uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, that's Galatians 5, and 23. See, here's the thing. The more you become conformed to the image of Christ, the more you'll become you. And by that, I mean the the real you, the blessed Amen. you, the, the you that Christ designed you to be. Now, Bert, I was reading an article about the things that age us, and uh, psychologists are really looking at the connection between your emotions, your stress, and your aging, premature aging. Things that will age you include fear, unforgiveness, and selfishness. Mm. 
now you think about this. Let's say somebody goes, well, you know, I'm not going to bow down and worship God. I'm, I'm going to do my thing. All right, listen, fear and stress, unforgiveness, and selfishness are the things that are putting you in an early grave. Uh, And you look at um, everybody wants to be healthy. Everybody wants, I would think, to be happy and, you know, at peace inside. And so the closer you are to God... Uh, the and the more the Holy Spirit controls you, the more alive you're going to be. Amen. And so, actually, in calling us to Himself, that is really among God's greatest acts of love on our behalf. It is, and God does His work inside, and it works its way outside. What all the other world religions quote offer and it's really nothing is if you change this this will happen if you'll do this this happen god does his work in you in other words it's called your mind your will emotions uh the heart of the matter the very inner being of you and when that becomes in relationship with christ it begins to work in you and through you and it changes perspective, it changes your hope, it gives you new meaning on life. And if you've been trying to clean up your act on the outside by maybe reading a self-help book and you say, man, this this has changed something, but I'm telling you, the real change takes place on the inside. You remember uh, when Samuel made his way to Jesse's home to find the new king that was going to replace King Saul? And, uh, you know, Jesse marched his boys out there. They were tall, dark, and handsome, you know. And uh, Samuel thought, surely one of these good-looking young men, they'll be the next king. But God looked at him and told Samuel, no. So Samuel said to Jesse, do you have any more sons? And Jesse, I don't know how this happened, but Jesse said, oh, yeah, I've got one more. He's out tending the sheep. And Samuel says, go get him. I'll not sit down till he comes. Let me meet him. Yeah. And when he came in, he was a little ruddy, as they say, a little skinny, you know, complexion. And God reminded Samuel, says, Samuel, I'm not impressed with those things on the outward side of man. I'm looking at the heart. I'm looking at the inner being. And he saw something in David that would be quoted and said he was a man after God's own heart. God's looking inside. He's looking. He wants that change to take place. And what Alex was talking about, that newness of life, the fear being gone, the unforgiveness, not having to deal with it, selfishness, and it's replayed by selflessness where you give yourself. It'll change your life forever, won't it, Alex? It will change your life. And, you know, for a moment, let's talk about the attributes of God or the, the characteristics of God. Scholars talk about there, there are some attributes of God that can be conveyed to us, and those, those are called the communicable attributes. And then there are what are called the incommunicable attributes. Now, there are some things about God that only God can have. And this is what makes God distinct from his creation. Uh, For example, God is omnipotent. He has all the power. God is omniscient. He has all knowledge. God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. And you and I are never going to be all those things. But some of the things that can be uh, impressed on us or transferred, you know, think about uh, love, uh, wisdom, 
you know, we can love, but God is love. We can learn and grow, but God is all knowledge. Uh, God is righteous and just. Well, we have a sense of justice. So the, the closer we grow to the Lord, the more of his communicable attributes get worked into our life. Mercy, goodness, truthfulness, uh, rationality, patience, uh, wisdom. And Bert, um, I think it's the greatest experience of life. And frankly, it's our greatest assignment is to know God and grow more and more like him. You know, it's a cliche, know him and make him known. Yeah. Well, it is, but it is a true one. A lot of cliches have some truth in it, but this one, knowing him. And the word know that we look at in the Old and New Testament is a relationship. It's not knowing about, but it's knowing him emotionally, knowing him mentally, but you also know him spiritually. You become alive spiritually. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And it's in this relationship that we come to know him and follow him. And and when we do that, now, Alex, what happens, and you use this all the time because it's kind of your marching orders as an apologetic, be ready to give an answer of the faith that is in you when they ask. But also notice it says, answer them with meekness and fear. Now, that fear is not afraid of God, but with reverence, with a respect. And that's what we do. Our lives, you know that little song that we sang, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Mm -hmm. Our light shines. And in the days in which we're living, difficult days, uh, if you want to describe it in light, it would say in dark days, how bright that light shines that they see Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so it's it's for our benefit. When we started out with the original question, is God selfish to ask of us and demand of us of love and worship? No. It is for our benefit. It is for our glory. Remember, it is for his glory and our good. And when you fit those two together, his glory and our good, Alex, You've, I'm, I'm just going to say it in this vernacular. We got that's a winning combination, you know. Amen, amen. Well, great questions uh, this day, and I know time is short, so I want to. Uh, we won't have time to fully unpack this, but somebody writes a question, and it says, "I have a question about the gender." Of God. Our church recently purchased some new hymnals, and some of the songs use feminine pronouns for God. In other words, she. To me, this feels like blasphemy. Should I let this bother me? Um, if, if you could direct me to some answers, Alex and Bert, I would be very appreciative. Um, Bert, let me say this, that, you know, really, God doesn't have gender in the sense that we do. Uh, but at the very same time, I mean, clearly... In the Word of God, uh, the Father, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit are consistently referred to all in the Bible with a male personal pronoun, he. And so I would say to be biblically faithful is to refer to God as he, uh, because that's what um, the Bible says. Now, John four twenty four says the Bible is spirit, but throughout the Word of God, um, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are all uh, predicated on the, the male pronoun, he. 
It is, Alex. And yes, he, he is like a nursing mother. The scripture says that. So he has this care inside of him and using it, the he pronoun, uh, it's not a negative that he is so masculine he doesn't care. No, it is that what you're talking about. He is spirit. And Alex, that's God. That's who he is. He's loving and he's caring. And uh, I, I would be cautious using the she pronoun, wouldn't you? Exactly. Well, you've been listening to Exploring the Word questions from Alex and Bert, and you can send questions in at word at AFR.net. We appreciate you listening to Exploring the Word today. Tell somebody, tell somebody about Exploring the Word and all the great programming of AFR, but most of all, tell everybody about Jesus. Jesus.